You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This morning's reading was from John 20, 1 through 18. That was uh, on Lemon Hill. And now we're going to go to the account that follows, but in Luke's gospel. So we're going to read Luke 24, 30, 13 through 48. This is a long passage, okay? So I'd like some volunteers to do it, please. Um, I think there's three slides, right, Hatchie? Yes. Beautiful. So how about a volunteer each? Is that cool? Who would like to read the first one? Thank you, Kristen. And then will you pass it to the next person? And on Zoom, feel free to speak. We'd love to hear your voice, too. You ready? Whoever's next, I'm going to pass it to you. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you, were, while, while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all of the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to, to, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Let's go to the next verse. Someone else read. Is this the same slide? Yeah. Next slide, please, Hatchie or Will. Thank you. <laughs> I already don't have my glasses. <laughs> as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. <clears throat> Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scripture to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
Same slide. Yeah, yeah. keep going, Warren. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why no doubt? Why, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And we, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they, dis, they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, prophets, and psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah would suffer, would rise from the dead on the third day. Thank you for reading. Who was that on Zoom? Nathan? Oh, hi, Nathan. Happy Easter, Nathan. What's that? Oh, sound member is beautiful. Let's pray before we keep going. Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Sometimes, folks, despair can blind us. Sometimes our grief is just too much to bear. Sometimes we can't see outside of ourselves our darkness, our pain, our suffering. Some just, sometimes we just can't get through the season. We can't get through our trouble. The pandemic doesn't end. COVID is here to stay. The mask mandate returns. It feels like our depression will never end. We get a taste of what it's like for people whose oppression doesn't seem to end. We're despondent because all the hope we've clung to fails to manifest itself. Moments when you're in so deep, it feels easier to just swim down. The rabbi we've been following for three years dies and his body is stolen. The mentor we looked up to turns out to be an abuser. People we've called, people we've called allies, <clears throat> comrades turn their back on us and our mission in a blink of an eye. An iota of accountability causes them to run. Our parents disappoint us. Our partners fail us. What we thought would be like lifelong ends. People get divorced. People break up. Children cut off their parents. We hurt each other. Things don't work out. Life falls apart. Loved ones die before they should. Parents tragically bury their own children. There are moments that the words don't reach. There is suffering too terrible to name. 
These disciples walking on the road of Emmaus are so full of Greek, they don't recognize the Lord. They don't recognize their Lord is risen. They don't recognize that the cause of their grief has been resurrected. They're despondent at the prospect that the Lord is dead. Who can blame them? The man they followed for three years dies the death of a criminal. His mom buries him. It's a terrible story. Don't sanitize it. The gruesome act of oppression that our Lord succumbed is important to feel in all of its horror. Jesus suffered like a criminal, oppressed, executed, killed, lynched. You can identify with our pain too as a result. We don't sink into the despair of the crucifixion enough to realize the absurdity of the resurrection. When these disciples encounter Jesus, they don't recognize him. The writer says their eyes were kept from seeing him. Jesus asks them, what are you discussing? They're surprised that the stranger hasn't heard the news. They tell them of a prophet who is mighty in deed and word, who was condemned to death. Their hopes are dashed a bit because they thought he might redeem Israel. He was said to redeem Israel. The women reported to them that the body is missing. The rabbi is dead. They stole the body to do witchcraft with it, to abuse it, to ruin it. Tragedy upon tragedy, grief upon grief, despair upon despair. They need hope upon hope, grace upon grace, a grace too powerful to name. They push away what they can never understand. Jesus responds. He calls them foolish. Very, very, very difficult response for the disciples in grief. Not very empathetic of Jesus. Didn't you know that he needed to suffer? He knocks them down, they nearly fall apart. He then reinterprets to them the text, fulfilling the prophecies at hand. They convince Jesus to stay with him, and he does, and he breaks the bread and he blesses it. And in that moment of hospitality, when he breaks the bread and blesses it, when he offers them this, their eyes are open, they can see who Jesus is. That familiar act that Jesus did lets you know that's the kind of guy Jesus was person who broke bread, ate with people, connected with them. That moment of hospitality makes it clear to them who they're with. That act of sharing, of giving of Jesus' self makes it clear. Just like when Jesus this morning turns to Mary and he just says her name, Mary. And then she says, Rabbi. She knows that that, that connection, that relationship, that intimacy, Jesus' familiar connection When Jesus feels, reflects back to you something familiar, you know who he is. And then he immediately vanishes from them. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us in the road, when he was opening the scriptures to us? Didn't we already know? Didn't you have the inkling in your heart? Didn't you know this was going to be the guy? They go and tell the others, the Lord has risen indeed. And then Jesus shows up again, and despite having heard what has happened, they thought they were seeing a ghost. And what Jesus wonders, why are you doubting? 
There he is in the flesh and the blood. Here are my wounds. Here is who I am. You can touch me. You can feel me. You can connect to me. God is alive and among them. This isn't a ghost. It's real. They're in shock and disbelief. It's the moment their, despairs into, their despair turns into hope. They can't believe it. The miracle happens. He springs forward. Hope springs forward. Christ is risen. And I don't know how much time has passed. He wants to eat again, Jesus. So, you know, they called him a glutton, so let him be. He's eating again. He says, do you have anything to eat among you? I just love the question, right? He opens the fridge, you know. Do you have any friends that do that? Come into your house and just open the fridge. That's like bold, right? To do that. Eat your food, find your beer, drink it. You know, that's like wild stuff. Um, and he does it. Do you have any food for me? He goes, yeah, broiled fish. Key moment, though. Because Jesus, again, eats. He ingests. It stays with him. He's not a ghost. He can contain the food. This is real. This resurrection is real. It's not spiritual. And this, will be, this, this is a source of Greek discussion. That the physical resurrection is real. Paul and Corinthians will go on about this, saying, believe in the resurrection of the dead because Jesus resurrected fully. Material resurrection. And in this, in this moment, the writer showcases the material reality, right, of the resurrection, which helps us know that because the resurrection is material, it's, 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 it resurrected a body physically. The work of the church, resurrection work has to be physical. It has to be material. You know, it can, it can be spiritual, it can be emotional, but it has a, and, and those things are not, don't, don't separate your emotions from your body, your spirit from your body, you know. When we get emotionally distressed, at least for me, it eventually affects my body. It affects me physically. The emotions affect me physically. Like I, I've been, I've been uh, under some distress over the last few years and my blood pressure has gone up. You know, I don't think I eat a lot of salty food, although I do. Like the other, that's the other problem, you know, my doctor was like, how's your diet? And I'm like, totally fine. You know, like that week, meanwhile, I was like brining like a brisket to smoke later. I was like, yeah, I don't eat, I don't eat that kind of food. I don't, you know, I don't make a lot of, it's not what I do, you know. Or like a few weeks ago, I finished a container of like feta cheese and then I just started drinking the brine. So it's like, well, maybe, maybe there's like a lot of things that are happening here. Um, but the emotion affects us physically too. So when we talk about spiritual well-being, it also is physical well-being. They're connected. But we also, our prayer just now of resurrection connected to so many real physical things, right? Material things. This matters. Don't dematerialize the gospel. Don't spiritualize it and then take away its material value. They're connected. Jesus is saying that. Jesus ate fish. You know, like it's not that much of a leap to say he ate broiled fish, he was really resurrected, black lives matter, right? Like to me, those two really work together. The physical resurrection means, no, we're going to preserve actual life here. And then he proceeds to interpret the scriptures and shows them how he fulfills them. The Messiah suffers and rises from the dead. Sins can be forgiven. Liberation has come for Jerusalem and for the world. Hope has arrived. Redemption is here and they're witnesses to these things, and they can tell the world. And we're witnesses today to the hope amidst despair. Our congregation has not celebrated Easter together since 2019. 
on Lemon Hill. It hasn't happened since then. And even here in this building, it hasn't happened since then. The last time we celebrated together, I had a three-year-old. She's six now. You know, I had a six-year-old. She's nine, you know. I was closer to being 30 than 40, and now it's the other way around. You know, it's kind of, I didn't write that down. I don't like that I said that. <laughs> it was a long time ago. But we're making it through. Here we go. So then feel the pain and the despair that we feel. We have to feel it. Feel free to feel it. You know, I started with saying sometimes our despair makes it hard for us to see the resurrection. But the resurrection permits us to feel the despair. It's not supposed to keep the pain away. Break through it. See the hope. See the good. There is more to the world than what isn't going well. So we don't have to ignore what isn't going well. Because the good is also there. There's more than darkness. There's more than despair. The disciples didn't see it at first. They didn't have eyes for it. They adjusted to the darkness. They didn't have eyes for it because they were suffering. But they saw something familiar, and that awakened them to the goodness. You know, we need to uh, look around, look around, and see the goodness around us. Christians can pierce the darkness with hope. We specialize in having faith in the midst of doubt. We specialize in the discipline of hope. And we do so because we feel the depths of despair around us. We aren't looking to numb our pain, but to feel all the pain, all the rejection, all the sadness, all the death around us. We can feel that because we know hope, too. When we're moved to find it and moved to point it out, we have eyes to see hope. And so we can freely experience despair. We don't have to numb the pain. Theologian Willie Jennings voices the importance of all of us sharing in the righteous indignation of God. See the pain, be angry when God is angry because we resurrect together. He was saying this in response to the murder of George Floyd. He had friends reach out to him. And they said, I can't imagine how you're feeling, Willie. And then Jennings responds with, yes, you can. Because my anger, my grief, my pain is shareable. This idea can empower people in dominant positions to hold the anger of the oppressed instead of succumbing to what Jennings calls the sickness of whiteness that merely turns the powerful into gawkers and spectators of the pain of the marginalized. Sometimes we judge the despair of the oppressed instead of standing in solidarity with it. Don't let the resurrection keep you from that. Feel the pain. Share in it. And then work towards resurrection to showing it, pointing it out pointing out possibilities. Don't give up. Don't become cynical. Keep going. Feel the pain and keep going. This is hard work. It's hard to do that. It's hard to face these obstacles and then to keep going. It's easier to succumb to despair than it is to fight it. It's easier to ignore the despair than it is to acknowledge it. 
So acknowledge despair and resurrection. It's hard to do those things. Sometimes people just want to ignore all the suffering and just live in a happy kind of place. And it's easier for some of us to do that than others. And some people, they're begging for hope. Stand in solidarity. When we judge the anger of the oppressed, for example, condemning protests following uh, acts of police brutality and police violence, we're missing the opportunity to empathize and imagine with what the oppressed are suffering from. Oshita Moore, who wrote uh, Dear White Peacemaker, said, to be black in America is is to never be fully allowed to grieve. She heard a familiar refrain from white folks. Again, around the time George Floyd was killed. Why do black people always tear up their neighborhoods? They've been saying that for a long time. In the 1960s, they said that about Martin Luther King, right? This is, this is an old story. We sanitize Martin Luther King. We don't realize that, right? Why, why, why do black people always tear up their neighborhoods? She was told she was overreacting for sharing an eight-minute video of herself crying while speaking about Philando Castile because she didn't know him personally. People said, why are you crying for eight minutes? You don't even know him. She shares in his anger, and people say that to her. And she concludes, you don't know how to honor black grief. We have to see and respond to the grief of the, of, of the oppressed by sharing that experience. When you look at the road to Emmaus and you see the disciples grieving or you see Mary grieving, feel with them. And then offer hope. We must see and respond to the grief. The oppressed know that God feels our grief. It is essential for allies standing by to enter into it. So we enter into it because we have hope the hope we're looking for and the hope that they're looking for and we can experience it. You know, so look around, name it. Don't stop from sharing in the grief and the pain, but open your eyes to the goodness around us too. Let's keep doing that as a body. Let's keep moving and feeling the pain around us, the difficulty around us, but also respond in hope and in joy as well. Let's try to, let's try to do both. You know, keep holding the death of Jesus in one hand and the resurrection of Jesus in the other. They're connected. You know, the cross is still here. It's a reminder of it. Reminder of our suffering. But we can suffer because we have hope in resurrection. Peace. Let's go around and do a little talk back, shall we? I think there's a microphone here. I'd love to hear if you have anything to say back, either on Zoom or in this room. Lauren has the microphone. We're just going to pass it around with people who want to talk. Does anyone want to say anything back? Uh, oh, this is on great. I haven't really formulated my thought that much, aside from like yes. You yeah, know? what's on like, your heart? Yeah. Um, what I was thinking of as we were ending that is that, I mean, Easter is a cool time. Like, I really not cool. That sounds um, light, but it's a deeply. It feels like a deeply important time for me because it is. Yeah, like really honoring the death and pain that we feel, and then also saying like. Yeah, look, and all, there's life here. Like, there's joy, there's goodness. There's, like, surprise and miracles that we don't expect to see. Um, and I'm feeling that in the 
real lived sense of like the fall, like the end of 2021 was very, very hard for like me and some like very important people to me. Like our lives were like going, like there were so many things happening that were like, what happened? Like, what did we do? Like, why is this happening? You know? Um, So a lot of what I kept coming back to in that place was like, wow, I don't know where there's hope. I'm just feeling the grief. And then also a lot of these like close people in my life are also feeling the grief. So none of us can really pull each other up. But we can gather in that like dark grief space right. together and like feel that support and love. And I really feel like it did like we were able to help each other in that time to just come together and be like, I don't know what to do. I'm so uh, I'm so in grief. And like, yeah, I don't know what to do either. I'm so in grief, too, you know, um, or like pain or anxiety or whatever. Um, and now we're here and it's spring and I think things feel lighter for some of us, maybe not all of us, but, um, like in that specific group that I'm thinking of, but that like turning toward the light, turning toward the miracle that is offered in this story, um, that like we can go through this like dark grief period together and also recognize that things will be different or it'll be okay or something. I don't know. That's what I appreciate about this day. It's like. Um, and as long climate change is real, but we also are shown that in our bioregion is that we go through this winter. It's really hard. It's really gray. It's really cold. And then we are shown by nature that like things do come back, even in the city, you know, like it erupts. So that's like a really cool thing that we specifically get to experience on the Northeast coast. Totally. You know, I mean, even on the climate change question, not to get too existential, like, Things will grow back. It just, it, are we going to be one of those things or not, right? Like, that's the question for us. It's not like the, the earth is uh, resilient, you know, and it, 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 will, it, it will figure itself out. You know, are we going to do this or not? You know, the biodiversity is lowering, so it's not like we're not going to ruin it entirely. But, you know, a million years from now, who knows what will happen, you know, but we have a decision to make. Anyone else want to share anything? Yeah, Wes. And on Zoom, too. Keep, keep connected. So a few months ago, after Ben resigned, we had a meeting at the Marlton Park location. And, and in that meeting, I expressed some anger publicly. It was a pretty intense comment. Rare and, for you, Wesley. What did you say? It's rare for you to do it's that. It's rare for me to be angry like that, especially in public. And the... The response I got was interesting. A lot of people just didn't say anything. Some people were like, thank you for saying that. And then recently a friend said, you know, I feel like I need to clear the air with you because I felt like you were angry with me. Like I felt like I was the one on the end of that anger. And there's some emotional care that goes there, right? Some relating that we, we did and it was, it was good. But I'm not sorry for my anger, right? That was the strange thing. And the anger wasn't towards this person specifically. And the thing that you said about Jennings, right? Like, you can feel that anger too, right? Like, all of us. It's shareable. We can, like, that's part of the resurrection, right? Is that we're not all just stuck on the same side of sin. Like, we can all recognize sin for what it is, and there's a better way to move. There's a better way to do things. And I don't want to say I was perfect in that moment, but I am saying that anger is really valuable. 
because it's it's a it's like showing that we're all our compass is all pointing in a common direction. We're not fighting about what is and isn't objectionable or what is and isn't sin. And so to have anger in common is for me a sign of God working, right? On the other side of like us not knowing what we are doing, right? Forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Finally, now, no, actually we know what we're doing. Maybe we can't stop doing it, but we at least know, right? And it gets us angry. Like there's some right. appetite for right. change. There's some appetite that this can't stay anymore. Something has to be different. Um, I've been turning this over because that was, you know, that was a, it's been a rough year. There's been a lot of stuff like that. But to be pointed in the same direction, right? As that's part of the resurrection in our community, like orienting us, giving us a sense of who we are um, in the wake of a lot of difficult things. Hey, I'm glad you shared that, Wes. Um, people will eventually share in that anger. Um, just this morning as well, um, someone, someone who was at that meeting um, we had a big meeting. One of our pastors resigned because he figured the anti-racism work of our church was too personal, took it too personally for him and his family, and he, he quit the church for that reason. Um, and people, leaders in our congregation who are in this room and otherwise were kind of pointed to as the people who like created the circumstance where he left. So... It was a deeply racist response in his departure, you know, and left, a, left a, like a lot of pain on his way out and on me too, right, personally. And there was moments of racism even in that meeting. Um, and someone came up to me today from that, from who was in the place and kind of left, um, who's been my friend for a long time, but they left the meeting and they were upset. They, and I, 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 I uh, understood, you know, whatever, like I'm not... I wasn't particularly upset, but she came up to me and apologized, right? Hey, I'm sorry for doing this. I wish I would have stood with you. I know that you were hurting in this moment, and I wish I was there for you. So, like, there's a moment where, like, I didn't even confront her about it. I didn't, like, talk to her, but she said that to me today on Lemon Hill. Just an interesting moment where, like, yeah, someone's heart softened. You felt me. You felt what I was going through, you know? And so, yeah, like the, you know, the tulips break through the ground sometimes, you know. The sun rises a little bit earlier. Um, sometimes that happens, you know. So, like, hold on to those moments. As opposed to just letting go of your, like, I, I'm accustomed to being like, oh, yeah, no big deal, you know. Forgive you right away because I don't want to feel the pain anymore. But, like, I don't have to do that because some people actually do apologize. Some people actually do make it work. Some people do get better. Right? That happens. So that's like motivation to like, okay, now I can actually enter into my pain as opposed to just avoiding it. Which is what I want to do, right? All the time. Until my blood pressure increases because I've ignored it forever. You know what I mean? Like eventually your body will, you know, get back to you. You can't, you can't ignore it forever. Someone else. Just the, it's, it's encouraging that God is doing this, right? That I don't have to change people, right? I can trust God. Like, trust God to be doing things in our church, doing things in our neighborhood, and that's... that's Absolutely. I love that. That's you know. the resurrection. Lauren? Thanks, Wes. I was thinking about the 
moments, and I'm not very good at memorizing scripture, but the moments leading up to Jesus being on the cross where he was like, God, are you sure I have to do this? Right, sure. Do I? Like, I love those kind of, like, reminders that Jesus was human, too. Like, not only did he have to eat the fish and prove that he wasn't a ghost, but there are moments leading up to, like, do I really need to die to have new life here? Do I really need to wrestle with all of this bullshit (laughs) so that new life can come of this, so that new leadership can be raised up into these spaces so that, and at some point that I need to depart so that others can, like there's just like so many other lovely parts of this that I think that we didn't get into today specifically, but I just remember those human moments of like, even Jesus didn't want to do the work once in a while. Yeah. And, um, and, and I certainly know as a human myself, I don't always want to do the work. And, but we have to, you know, and I love that. Um, I mean, amazingly, Jesus did this incredible sacrifice um, and, and, and wrestled with it, you know. And I think that's good to be reminded of, too. The, Jesus enduring that pain, you know, um, real moment of, uh, yeah, his humanity. You know, some people say what Jesus was asking for was, People, we don't know exactly what Jesus was asking for, right? If you listen to me without you, he was asking to go and have a family or something. You know, that's, that's what Aaron thinks. But like other people would say his alternative wasn't just having a family. It was actually like, hey, the cops are coming. Give me the arms. Let's go fight back. Let's have a revolution. You know, like he actually succumbed to the oppression, did something different, did something alternative. Because his desire, I mean, his human desire to be able to respond, to react, you know, because, like, that's, if they're coming for you, you have that feeling, you know, um, to choose to suffer and to do it in a different way, which I think we are doing. I think I just want to reinforce that, even as a body. Um, we're not fighting with violence. It's a whole different way of doing it. Some people may react like that, but that doesn't mean we are. You know, I just I want to reinforce that this is not, this is a nonviolent approach. It's still painful. It still costs us something. You know, but there's no violent response. You know, some people sometimes think that, but that's not what's happening. Thanks, Lauren. Any more? Cool, Hannah, you want to come up and tell us what's going on? Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.